If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. How big of fans were you guys of uh, the Gladiators? Huge. Oh, Gladiators. Dude, huge. One of my favorite shows, The right? best. It had a bunch of really buffed maniacs. Uh, they were, you know, doing events with people. It was such a fun show to watch. Well, think of how many shows today have spawned off, probably from that concept. Because totally. I don't, I don't. There wasn't a lot of shows like that yeah. back when it was when it was massive. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think there's a, a there's a million type of obstacle game course type of shows that are out there, but. American Gladiators were one of the one of the first ones ever to get released, right? What, what year was that? Do you remember what year? God, it, was? it has to have been the nineties. Yeah. It's got to have been that early nineties for sure. Back then, I yeah. loved it. But anyway, one of my favorite gladiators on there was uh, Nitro. I used to love watching that guy. He was so intense, and it's funny he contacts us and talks about wanting to come on the show. This guy has a lot to offer, not just his past as a gladiator, but he's a very motivational individual has gone through a lot of trials and tribula- tribulations in his life, including a heart attack at a very, very young age and how it completely changed his uh, his approach to life. Mm-hmm. So we think you're going to enjoy uh, this episode. Um, now, you can find him on Instagram at Dan Nitro Clark. So his first name is Dan, last name is Clark. Of course, Nitro being the name that he had on the Gladiators. Um, he has a, a, a business of, uh, what is it called? Obstacle Course Racing. I think he's selling it now. Called Gladiator Rock and Run. Um, so that's gladiatorrockandrun.com. Um, his book is called uh, F Dying or Fuck Dying. Um, and he has a great talk, uh, a great TED Talk. Um, it's the, the title of it is The Art of Living a happy life. But anyway, we had a fun conversation with this guy. Don't worry. We asked about the tennis ball shooting gun. Yeah, so that's <laughs> yeah, really cool. That's really important. So we think you're going to enjoy this episode. Also, before the episode starts, I want to remind everybody that MAPS Starter is 50% off. Now, this is the program that's designed for people who want to get started with resistance training or people who haven't done it for a while and want to get back into it. So it's a great pro- program to get started. It's also a good gift. So if you need friends or family members that you want to get started in resistance training, it's the perfect gift. It gets them going the right way, building stability, strength, muscle, speeding up the metabolism, and burning body fat. So in order to get the 50% off, here's what you do. Go to mapsstarter.com. That's M-A-P-S-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com and use the code STARTER50, S-T-A-R-T-E-R-5-0, no space, for the discount. I feel like we have to start, though, with the, the old theme song. <laughs> well, that's Bill Conti. Was it? Yeah, Bill Conti, no? the guy Rocky guy who wrote that. Uh, oh man, theme. that was the jam. He wrote. Yeah. He wrote the American Gladiator yeah, song. Yeah, the theme song. Not the, no not, way. Not the rap album they put out. No. <laughs> wow, really? that's crazy. Oh, that's, that's so awesome. good. Now, Dan, Dan you're you're. Uh, somewhat local, right? You went to San Jose State over here. San Jose State Spartan was yeah. there last night for the game. Wow, yeah, where'd, go you, Spartans. where'd you grow up? Uh, Orange County. Okay, so you're from Southern California. From Southern California, pretty much. Look, I, my dad was in the Marines. I was born in Japan when I was uh, eight years old. Uh, he had been living in Vietnam for a while, so he took me over there as a kid for two years, and right before the country fell. And then I've been pretty much back in California. 
Good wait, deal. wait a second, I'm confused. You were you lived in OC and you decided to go to school in in fucking San Jose. <laughs> did you never? Did, had you not visited here first? Well, no, I, I went <laughs> on my let me leave. One of, let me leave one of the best places in California to go to the shitholes college over here. What the? Wow. Why would you come to San Jose State? Oh, wow. Oh, I, went, I went to San Jose State too. So well, yeah, calm you, down there. But, but you guys do know that San Jose State puts more people in Silicon Valley jobs now than any other college. Yeah, they do. Oh, is that true? Oh yeah. That wow. They also Stanford, they also have the most reputable kinesiology department it's a they great do. They and, do. Yeah. and so if you're going to you see plan. what they're doing over there now you guys have to go next time i come back, i'm going to come up for another game next time i come up you have to see what they're changing the facilities over there they've put in this uh, they've put in a great football stadium a great weight room they've put in uh, new soccer fields a new 50 million dollar pool complex it is becoming oh, wow. legit they oh, are wow. doing a great job over there at san jose State. but no seriously though what would make a kid that's growing up in orange county come to san jose come to san jose yeah. forget I mean, san jose it's State. A good point san jose in general yeah. especially then well, was, was on a football scholarship it was oh, yeah. oh okay so back then uh, J- jack elway was the coach mm. and they were the top number 19 in the country 19 in the country. Oh, that must have been a long time so ago. When they, it was a long time ago. So when they recruited me, they <laughs> Sorry, had dude. three guys, Gerald Wilhite, Black Steve and Clarkson, TV. and one other guy who was uh, who were going pro. They're all like first and second round oh, picks. Oh, wow. Mm. So I came here. I was like, I'm going to this football factory, and they want me. Now, what was yeah. your, your defensive end? I was a d- defensive end, pass rush end. And I had a guy I went to junior college with because that was my path out. My path out of from high school, where I went to high school in Santa Ana, no one had ever gone out and got a football scholarship to a D1 uh, school. So I was the first kid, but that wasn't even my dream. That wasn't my ambition. Mm. I had quit going to school at high school. I was done. I mean, I was done. You were dropping I, out of high school. No, I finished high school. Oh, I was oh, done. Oh, oh. I was. I, I wasn't even thinking about higher education. This is how life works. So I was working at Sears. But I was selling like in one of those kiosks, metal etchings, and I was making, you know, $300, $400 cash a week. And my girlfriend was the head shoe and she was working at Ralph Lauren and she had like a 70% discount on Ralph Lauren clothes. So nice. I had a money. I had a girlfriend. I was fantastic. And I got great clothes for free or cheap. And I was done. I was done. You figured out life. <laughs> yeah, and I did. And, and I graduated young. So I was 16 my whole senior year. I turned 17 May 21st. Yeah, you can all send me birthday gifts. Uh, May 21st of my senior year. So I was a young guy too. And I thought it had all figured out. And I was there selling my metal etchings and my little suit at Sears at a kiosk. And my high school track and Track coach, yeah, I threw the discus and shot put. He came up and he says, "Hey, I'm coaching at this junior college. Maybe you got, maybe you want to come try out for football." And I'm like, "No, nah, no, nah, nah, I'm done, dude. I'm making 400 bucks a week. You know, <laughs> you see my girlfriend. Hey, I'm done." And um, but somehow it just stuck inside of me. And he said, "We're doing good things. You're a good football player." Uh, and again, and the first time I ever felt good about myself is when I was a freshman in high school. Someone patted me on the back and said, "Good job, Clark, on the football field." So that was wired inside of me. And he said, hey, you're a good football player. So it triggered that in me. And I was like, oh. And then I just went out and tried out for the football team. And it's so interesting that you were talented enough to get a scholarship, but then you were just willing to like, yeah, I'm over it and be done with it after high school. That's not normal, is it? Well, I wasn't talented enough in high school. I didn't get one letter. Okay. But junior college was the entree back then. Mm. So he, he said you were good. 
And anybody who said anything, I, like if you guys tell me I'm great, I'll probably never leave. <laughs> I'll be like, I'm moving to San Jose. I'm going to be part, become part of the crew. You know, you used to have four people on your podcast. No, you only have three. It was meant for me. Don't uh, tell me I'm great. Yeah, we'll be careful about that. <laughs> so then you must have, I mean, if if you were just good and you weren't that great, I mean, you, you got good enough to get a scholarship. So, I mean, I, I'm assuming that you must have put some serious work in to get good in the in your junior college years. Yes. I mean, that, that was absolutely true. So two things happened to me. I was good. I, and I trained hard. I believed in training. I believed in working out as something I was doing since I was uh, 12 years old. Uh, then my freshman year, I got injured. I blew out my knee, so to speak. And I went, I, and I was probably like 210 pounds. And within three months, I was back down to 185. And I saw my dream evaporate, my dream of getting a scholarship mm. now. Because a lot of kids, we had 17 kids my freshman year go and get scholarship to D1 schools. So it was within touch, finally. So that was the time back in 1982. I was sitting there, dream was gone, where I was at the gym and I saw this guy who was huge and he was working out. And I said, dude, you look amazing. I said, what do you do? And he said, psh, psh, come here. He goes, I'm taking these things, they're called steroids. And I was like, what? What's that? And it isn't like today we're so pervasive in the culture where mm -hmm. someone, it yeah. wasn't illegal. It yeah. wasn't like, you know, it was just, I was like, what? Yeah, there was no, it wasn't even illegal yeah. at that so time. Protein no, powder? You, no, it, it was like protein. It was like another guy who said like, hey, try these chewable protein pills. They'll make you huge. I took them. Yeah. Right. So this guy was, I said, okay, where, where do you get them? What do you do? Blah, 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 blah. What kind of steroid was it? What'd you start with? Was it D-ball? Was it Dianabol? Was that the? So what I did is he goes, I went to a doctor. Oh, okay. So they're safe. This hmm. was way better. And he goes, I think, you know, this guy, um, what's his name? Schwarzenegger might be taking him. And Ferrigno, and there's a couple of pro football players. You get bigger, stronger, faster. You guys have all seen yep, the movie. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm in. I was 17. Hmm. So he takes me up to the steroid doctor in San Gabriel Valley down in, in California. And the guy won't see me because I'm not 18. And I'm like, oh my God. So on my 18th birthday, my dad gave me $172. That's what it cost. He told me. I went back and saw this guy and um, he was just like, okay, what we're going to start you on is we're going to start you on uh, two D-ball a day with a little bit of injectable testosterone. And I'm like, okay, great. How long do I take this for? And he looked at me, what do you mean? When do I come off? He's like, you don't. Oh, you don't. Yeah. I'm like, oh. He goes, it's safe. You know, I'm a doctor, <laughs> you know, and all this stuff. And wow. Uh, wow. So in that, 14, 16, 20, whatever, the 20 weeks, I not only put the size back on that I had lost from the surgery, but I gained another 15 pounds. So I think though that weird combination back then when it wasn't cheating, when nobody knew what it was, when I went to a doctor and I was being supervised, I, I, I think that gave me a, a little bit of a boost that I don't know I could have done on my own with the injury without the injury there was a good shot i would have made it yeah so that's how i got up here now wow. when you were when you were first lifting uh where was your knowledge of lifting coming were you similar to us where you're just trying shit you didn't really know or were you reading magazines like where were you getting your advice on how to lift properly i don't know if i can remember that far back because <laughs> i'm 55 right so i've been at this game for you know 42 years now 41 years 43 years but it was a i know you guys were on my podcast and we talked about it but it was a gym set in the garage and i don't know if i was looking at like you know those old weeder magazines you know where hey don't be a wimp don't have someone pick up sand and you know kick it in your face oh yeah yeah. And, but I, I'd always, even at 11 years old. So, okay. When I was 10 years old, 
my older brother, who was my hero, he was my rock, he was everything to me in my life. My parents had been divorced, a lot of like, lot like your childhood, Adam. Uh, my parents had been divorced, and you know, my dad would drink, and he was a Marine, and I was going from home to home. The one person I had was my older brother, Randy. And when I was 10, he got into an electrical accident, and we were in a foreign country, and he died in my arms. Oh, man. And that moment, it, I mean, I get, <clears throat> I get emotional now. It, it broke me. It broke me, and it broke me inside, and I did not know how to deal with it emotionally. So I found ways to become bigger and stronger on the outside. And I think that's why I was so drawn to that outer strength. I remember seeing a guy at a gym who had a muscle, and I was just so fascinated because I thought if I had that muscle, man, I'd be safe. You know, I'd be safe and I'd be strong. So I had that big, big fascination. And I think a lot of times, if you read my first book, Gladiator, True Story of Roy's Rage Redemption, it's not about the American gladiators. It's about that little kid who was broken. And he went on that odyssey to find himself, to become whole inside. And I realized for me, a lot of that, putting that muscle and, and size on, I was up to 260, over 260, squatting 500 for reps, benching 450. I was a beast. But a lot of that was all to protect that little kid inside. You know, it was my uh, thing and it kept, kept me bulletproof, but it kept me from experiencing a lot of the good things in life. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when that all came apart for you? Like, when did you realize that you were this young kid that you were trying to protect? I mean, we share this on our podcast a lot. It was uh, uh, for sure. All three of us have this in common that what drove us to the gym initially were our insecurities, being skinny and teased and wanting to be big and buff and but it took me, you know, 15 years of training before I started to piece it together like, oh, shit, I'm sitting here beating myself up because I don't love myself. Like, do you remember when that when that clicked for you? I'm still remembering it. Hmm. So it, it it's a lesson that I have to remind myself every day that I'm enough, that, um, you know, that uh, I'm loved, that uh, I put good things out into the world. So I don't think, it, for me, it's not a lesson I'll ever fully learn. It's something I have to remind myself all the time. So do you catch yourself still doing like little things where you feel insecure about your size because you know how massive you've been before? Do you? I feel insecure every day. Oh, wow. I feel insecure every day. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I walk around unhappy. You know, I've made peace with, you know, the places I'm broken. I've learned to find the beauty in my scars, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this interesting Japanese uh, philosophy. It's called Kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. And it's this art where they take pottery that's been broken and they put it back together with gold and silver. Oh, in the I'm cracks. familiar with this, yeah. Right. So I think Kintsugi, and a lot of times by rebuilding something that's been broken, it becomes more valuable than it was originally. Mm. So I use that metaphor a lot for myself. I think because I've been broken, because you guys have been broken, maybe there was more value in us than if we were not broken. But I think the key for a lot of people is to learn to find beauty in, in their scars. Hemingway has a great quote, and Hemingway said, and I'm gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna probably roll over in the grave because I'm not gonna say it correctly. But he said, the world breaks everyone and some become strong at the places they are broken. Hmm. I have that by my bedside because it tells me to honor those things because as, you, as men, we're all alpha males here. So many times we grow up where we don't wanna expose those things. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a man, I got this, yeah. But it keeps people away from us, you know? And I think as much as you don't have that vulnerability, you also keep those good experiences away. I, it must be extremely difficult or, or been super hard for someone like you who built a career 
around being that big, strong guy, yeah, right? You were you the played, epitome of that at one point. Yeah, you played uh, college football. You played pro football for a little bit. Yeah, it might have been the spandex. It makes everything look bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and it holds in the fat parts. <laughs> but you, you, you played pro football for a second, right? You played for mm-hmm. the LA Rams. LA it? Rams, I played over in Europe for you, yes. Right, and then, um, and then you become Nitro on American Gladiators. How long were you that? I, w- I want to know the, how you got that. Like, how does that come yeah, out of being? What was the casting yeah. and all that stuff? How did you get into that? Yeah, um, I grew up watching that, man. It was, it was one of my favorite shows as a kid yeah it was it was a it, it was a beautiful dream I look back at that time it just seems like a, there was a beautiful dream so I had finished playing football for the Rams I played in Europe the year earlier uh, I got cut like uh, I don't know nine ten games through the season and I didn't know what I was gonna do with my life that's that's where I'm, I'm at a lot of times in my life where I don't know what I'm gonna do I've become so good and living in uncertainty and I just believe uh and it's not hokey pokey like, oh, great things are going to come. I know I have a work ethic and you succeed in one thing. You can succeed in anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there and uh, I'm at the mall, South Coast Plaza, Orange County. And I just got cut. I'm with a buddy of mine who just got cut. And we see this guy walk in and we see him. We knew him because he played with the Dolphins. And then we saw him. But I remembered him because he was on this TV show, First and Ten, with the very, very famous O.J. Simpson. Do you guys remember that show? Oh, oh wow. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So this is way back then. I see this guy. And he was an extra. But back then, we didn't know what extras were. It wasn't like today. And I said, oh, my God, dude, so good to see you. You're famous. I saw you on TV. He's like. I can get you on TV. I'm like, what? You can get us on TV? He goes, yeah, yeah, come up to LA. You can get on the show first and 10. They're looking for guys who used to play professional football player. They'll give you $100 a day plus. They'll give you a brown bag lunch. And on days you hit, you get 250. I'm like, so my buddy and I, we moved up to Orange County the next weekend. Sold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sold. So I get lunch and I get to be you on TV. Lunch? And I, I'm going to be hanging out with Stallone and Schwarzenegger because that was, you know, if you... We're on TV, you hung with everybody. But I found out what being an extra was, which was fine, you know, at 24 years old. So I moved up here, and like anything else, any endeavor you take in, I'm all in. I have this tremendous curiosity. I want to know something. I'm, I'm a famous at dinner. You mentioned something, Sal. I'll be Googling it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is he bullshitting me? Is this true? Is this right? I want more facts. So I, I have a tremendous curiosity. And about people, too. I, I meet someone at the airport. I sit and talk to them. I want to know what you do. I want to know about your life. I, 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 I'm so curious. So I jumped into the acting thing. And I went and I, you know, got agents, I got, you know, pictures and, you know, and I took a cold reading class and like you guys jumping into co- podcasting, cold reading, you know, uh, dude, I was like, you know, uh, 260, you know, like to actually get in and have to read a scene in front of people. Well, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I got it. I went to my fo- first cold reading class and cold reading class is, is you have a scene that was two or three pages long. They give it to you and you walk in and then you get up and you perform it. And I was no thespian. I used to want to beat up the guys in theater. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you're an actor. Uh, you know, I didn't know I'd become one. Uh, and so I, I was, I remember the first time I got up and read, I was looking at the paper and here I am probably 245 pounds and all of a sudden I started like couldn't breathe I went back and I, I, I literally almost fainted oh wow. oh wow I started my illustrious career by almost fainting <laughs> but I was like okay I can do this so anyway a, a long, very long long story I will make it shorter uh, I was banging on doors, reading everything I could, how to get in the business, taking voice classes, taking acting lessons, writing lessons. And there came this audition in a, back then when they had newspapers. <laughs> and it was about to find athletic people who were good in front of the camera. And I said, that's me. <laughs> you know, I'm athletic and I got a little chutzpa, je ne sais quoi, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I went out for this audition and it was at this park. And it, this wasn't what you saw on TV. It was a little park and they had those... Uh, tires and cones like you had for like football practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you go through these tires, your cones, and it was everybody. Everyone was in spandex, and, and the girls from Glow were there. It was just like this <laughs> smorgasbord of misfits from Venice Beach and everywhere else. But I had a f- football background, so I did well. Then they said, here's one of three characters, get on camera and we'll interview you. So I go on camera and they start asking me questions like, what do you eat? Raw meat. <laughs> do you remember your first character? Who's your, who's your first character? Nitro. Oh, okay. So that was your first yeah, character. I, he had a different name. It was Endeavor. Uh, it was Evander. But I remember the question today. I just did something for Sports Illustrated. <laughs> Pardon me. Where are they now? That's how you know when you get old. <laughs> so they were like last year, they're like, hey, we want to do a where are they now episode. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. But uh, and I remember that specifically. And they said that was one of the first things. So what do you eat? I'm like raw meat. <laughs> so then we go for the interview. I go through like three or four interviews of, you know, running through tires, jumping down. And then we're at Universal Studios. Now we're in the big time. We're in a stage and I, the stage doors open. You think it's going to be like, oh my God, but it's literally a concrete floor. And they got these kids from the local college Northridge to come over and try out the games. Like, hey, you're going to be on a game show. And I'm sure these kids, they got 40 bucks, a brown bag, and they're thinking Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune. The no, game. they're gonna get yeah. tennis you're balls. You're gonna get pelted by tennis balls in the eye. They're gonna what? Well, yeah. Just think if you guys were in college, right? Hey, you're gonna try that game yeah. show. It totally you're gonna, would go. You're, you're gonna go. get totally flattened go. by. But imagine three hundred pound guys. You guys train. You open the door, and on the ground, concrete ground, they drew a fifteen yard long, ten yard wide football little field, mm. and they put <laughs> they put these guys across from me, and they're like, "You got to get past him." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, two, two forty. I was on roids just smoke come out of my ears. Oh, my Hollywood dream was evaporating because I was running out of money and I was going to have to move back home because I had a young son in Orange County. Wow. I was going to have to move back home and get a, a, a job. And I was like, oh no. So when I saw that guy come standing across from me from 10 to 15 yards and he had to run the ball past me, it wasn't just <laughs> oh, a guy. I bet you got excited. It was fast. my Hollywood dreams, my yeah. whole life, my independence. This kid came at me. He must have been a buck 65 soaking wet. And I was like, I picked the guy up. I slam him on the concrete. His head goes back. The ball goes and goes dribbling out. And I'm like, oh, shit, man. You know, I'm in trouble. Producer calls me over and I'm like, hey, sorry, I got a little carried away. And he's like, you got the job. (laughs) And that's how American Gladiator started. Wow. Wow. How how many seasons uh, were you on there for? God, it's like 130 episodes, eight years. I did seven of them. Now, did, mm. were there ever times, I remember watching the show, and every once in a while there'd be a, contest, a contestant that would actually give you guys yeah, a run a for time. your money. Were there ever, was there ever a moment where you're like, oh shit, this guy's a, a tough one? So you didn't want to mess with the Gladiator Mafia. I mean, that, that's what it was. Because what would happen if a guy was tough or if a guy was talking shit, I'd be like, yo, Sal, Justin Adam, this guy's talking shit on us. Let's He's going to be a problem. He's 240. He's going to hurt us. Let's take him out. Oh, <laughs> shit. No, I mean, like, let's take him out. Okay. And then we would just put a little extra, a little extra mustard on that, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Because it's a health, it's the season, it's the job. And you got to be like, yo, Justin, right? when, you, when you do break through and conquer, you know, just get him. Yeah, yeah. Let's make sure he doesn't make the next show. I'll stomp him. So, yeah we, had guys, <laughs> yeah, we had guys that were tough, but we also, you know, we're, we're smart human beings. You wanted to preserve your health. Right. And the guys that were the toughest would hurt you the most. Mm. And, and the show, the show changed the first season. We had guys, you know, 240, you know, 230, 250 coming in. And later they got more athletic guys, which I think was right. Because, again, the contest was 
Sal versus Adam, we were the obstacles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it didn't make sense to make you as big as us because the real battle was against him. We were the obstacles inside of certain games. And I think that people really like the Davy and Goliath aspect. Oh, totally. totally. What was your favorite event though? There were so many cool ones, like the rings where you're pulling somebody off of the rings as they're swinging or that almost like a bull in the ring where you had pads and you had to run through and like slam them. Jousting. I don't want to burst your guys' bubble, but my favorite events was doing publicity. Damn it. (laughs) I mean, serious, that was work. You know, I love going out there. I I love competing. But, you know, that compared to going on The Tonight Show, (laughs) you know, it's much more fun. What are you, 26, 27? How old are you at this point? Yeah, right about there. I think it was 24, yeah, 22 to 29, 22 to 30. So on TV, I mean... What was like, I mean, you had to feel amazing. You're probably getting girls throwing themselves at you all the time. What was that like? Wow, that's deep. <laughs> What's it like to have oh, girls throw me at the, the, you know what? I was an athlete uh, in college and high school. So women were never an issue. It was finding the right women, one. And then two, it was learning to be a good man in a relationship, a good human being. Because my dad wasn't a guy who was faithful. My dad wasn't a guy who uh, respected women. And that's the blueprint, the framework I grew up with. Mm. So my work wasn't that. My personal work was learning to appreciate, respect women, to learn to be a man of my word. I think that was the more important lesson I learned from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, but did you? obviously you probably were on the other side of that in order to learn that lesson, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You have to read my first book. There's a chapter 17. My girlfriend always brings it up to me. A first book, Gladiator. She brings that to me. I think it's because she ever asked me, I always wax poetic and kind of, oh, I don't know, girl, you know, I can't remember anybody. <laughs> <You know? laughs> i so long ago. Yeah, I think there's been like five women in my life. You know, yeah. you're one of them. You're very important to me. Um, but she, because well, chapter 17, buddy, Playboy, Playboy bunnies, porn stars, and strippers. Wow. <laughs> so go to chapter 17. Yeah. You can see it, it tells you everything. It became a smorgasbord. And uh, talk yeah. about, talk about though, what that does to the ego. I mm-hmm. mean, and uh, did it ever get you in major trouble? And what happened being in that? I can't imagine being, you know, 20 something, mid 20s on television, making great money. On anabolics. Yeah. Your testosterone's through the roof. You're jacked. Good looking I mean, dude. Famous. Why, thank you. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave. I'm not not going to leave. There's going to be a fourth host. (laughs) Hey, guys, I want to have a message for everybody here. There's a fourth host. (laughs) So, um, you know, it was was an interesting time. I just say I I learned a lot about myself uh, in that time. Uh, Yeah. That's what I know you say. want to paint yourself in a great light, but the biggest thing about Mind Pump is, and we're extremely vulnerable and open and, and honest about uh, a lot of our faults and, and how we've came around. To be I'm, honest, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, I, I just had a moment where senility came hobbling in on a crutch. What was the question? I know well, something about chicks. Well, you just, you, <laughs> you, you well, your ego, how, how was that for your ego? All that. Right, you've already painted the picture that you had a dad as a bad example. So you, and, and you know, and with, Without you even telling me, I already know that that was probably you probably fell into some of even his behaviors early in your early years, and I and I can't imagine he didn't have nowhere near the the pressures you probably had being famous, money, fit, testosterone running through you. So I'm wondering, like, you know, how was it for the ego? Yeah. So, so you know, when it comes to women, it was 
it fed me and fulfilled me and made me feel good about myself until it didn't. Mm. So when you're a guy, you know, with a girl, oh my God, your buddies, look at that girl. Oh man, how'd you get her? You know, next week you'd be another, oh, you got her too. Well, you're out with her. Wow. And that fed me. It fed some of the empty spaces inside of me until I learned to fill those spaces. And then I didn't need that, you know, validation. It's probably my like, well, I was right around 30. Mm. And right, right, right around when I was 30 was when the time that I had to raise my hand and say, say I needed help that I couldn't deal with everything that I was feeling inside of me emotionally. I just, I wasn't happy. I was uh, self-medicating all the time. I couldn't keep a, a uh, long relationship. I didn't know how to be faithful. I didn't know how to show up. And I, I was, had everything I wanted materially and I had everything I wanted as far as fame, but I still wasn't happy. There were so many mornings I would wake up and uh, I would just would be hammered, you know, from doing blow, GHB and all these other things. And I would get to a place where I'd get so high that I'd just be laying on the ground and I'd be weeping. Mm. And I said, wait, wait, something's wrong. I'm famous. I'm on billboards. I'm on the cover of TV guide. I said, there's something wrong. And I said, oh no, it's just because I was high because I was getting drunk. I was hanging off the bros. Okay. That's what happened. You know, there's, and then it started to bleed over into my real life when I wasn't partying and I'd be driving down Sunset Boulevard and I just would get an outburst of tears. I go, whoa, this is weird. I'm having spontaneous bouts of tears. So that's when I raised my hand. I started seeing a therapist. I started to lift the hood up and say, hey, I've got everything, but I'm not happy. You know, and I say, it sounds like a high class problem. But when you look at the guy from Soundgarden, you look at Robin Williams, you look at mm. Anthony oh, yeah. Bourdain, oh, yeah. it's, it's this weird, weird, weird feeling. And this was before all that. And this is when therapy wasn't like the cool thing to do. Well, that's impressive. You have that self-awareness to go in that direction because I, I see a lot of people hitting rock bottom is, you know, where now, okay, now I have to make those changes. But you saw that coming and, and decided to go get help. Yeah. When you're laying on the floor, a lot of times and you're drunk and you're crying, that's kind of rock bottom. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the external things in your life are. To me, that's rock bottom. It doesn't matter if you're a rock star. It doesn't matter if you're a guy living in his apartment, you know, making, you know, 500 bucks a week. When you're laying on the floor high, drunk and crying, that's rock bottom. So I, I realize that. And plus, I, I, I took a lot of acting lessons. And if you've ever seen my work, it probably doesn't show. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a great coach, Larry Moss, um, and he just said, you know, you, you go to therapy, go to therapy. And that's at what, 30 years old? 28, 29. Oh, wow. 30. That early. That is yeah. early to be on it and smart enough to go do do that. That's not normal. Well, especially back then. Well, yeah, I didn't have a normal life. Plus, yeah. And plus back then, you know, like someone who had a therapist, they were crazy, right. mm. crazy. But I've always been to like curiosity, self-exploration. I remember the first time I went into a therapist, it was this woman. Poor, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're listening now. I'm sorry. I walked in here, there, and I just told her everything I was ashamed of, all the stuff that I'd done. And I just wept and wept and wept. And I did that for three episodes and never saw her again. <laughs> I, said, I said, I'm healed. Sweet Jesus. I am healed, you know? And then the issues, you know, started to come up again. And then, you know, I have a son who's 32. We had some challenges with him. And, you know, so I've been, I've been a, I'm a huge proponent for therapy. I know mind pump. When something's wrong with your body, when you have something, most people go to the doctor, right? When your car you're driving your car, it goes, pit, pit, pop, pop, pop. You're like, oh shit, gotta bring my car in. But emotionally, happiness, uh, connection, or mental health, when something's wrong, we don't ever go to the doctor. We don't seek help, you know? And for me, that was the best thing I, I did. And based upon that, I started to, you know, fix the things under the hood. And it's been a, you know, 25 year experience. And now that's what I do. 
I life coach a lot of people. And the tools that I use are the things that I have in my toolbox that help me change my life. Mm. You know, so there's, there's addiction, there's depression, there's how to overcome childhood trauma, and then there's how to achieve success. And then there's how to enjoy your success when you actually have it. Mm. Yeah. After, uh, after the gladiators went off air, were you in a position where you were like, okay, what do I do now? Did you, did you pivot to something else at that point? So I, when Gladiators went off air, I was very, very lucky. Uh, I was lucky in the sense that Warner Brothers, a big studio that we all know, they came to me the last year of Gladiators and they said, hey, look, Steven Seagal's gone. Um, people don't like him anymore. And we want to groom a new action star. And I did martial arts, you know, taekwondo for, for years. I couldn't kick anybody, don't worry. <laughs> but, uh, and, and so I signed a three-picture deal with them. So I had such a beautiful transition. They were giving mm. me $50,000 every three months. Wow. While they were de- and back then, that was a lot of money. Yeah. yeah still not bad money. Sure. Uh, so they were developing movies and pictures for me. So I said, oh, this is so great, you know, and I went and got even better acting coaches, even better voice coaches. They bought a script for me. They brought this big director in. We shot a screen test. We're going to make a movie for you. And after about a year and a half, that's when the checks stopped coming. And I was like, oh, no, we still love you. We're still finding a movie for you. And at that time, I couldn't find a job because I was in this weird place where, you know, I'm going to be a movie star. Don't you, I'm going to be the rock. That was my career. I'm going to be the rock. Mm -hmm. So I can't go and, you know, get a, a regular job. Right. I can't go and, and take this smaller role because everyone's telling me I'm going to be famous and I'm already famous. I can't go to Disneyland with my kids. So yeah, I'm just going to sit here. So I talked about a work ethic. So what I did is I went, wrote, directed, and produced a movie, sold that movie, you know, made money on the movie. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. It's kind of an action movie. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of cool looking for Bruce. And then that market fell out. So I said, what am I going to do? I'm going to write. I'm going to write. So I spent seven years, even when I was on Gladiators, writing. I taught myself to type. I taught myself how to screen, screen write. And I went for, through two years where I didn't make a cent. And I was flat broke. And I remember the low point of that. I remember the low point. I was married. When I say I was flat broke, I had a house and I had some equity in the house. But I was married. And I was too embarrassed to ask my wife for money for gas. So I remember being at the gas station opening the change drawer in the gas station where the ashtray was and I had a bunch of quarters. And I remember giving that guy at the gas station that money for $4 and 75 cents of gas. And I said, wow, this is terrible. Which this- wouldn't even get you a gallon today. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I, think, I think it filled my tank <laughs> yes, back then. Today. Oh, that gets you down the block. <laughs> so, so life has been through low points. I mean, I got lucky and I'm not lucky. I worked hard for seven years before that. And finally, like the next year I went and sold a screenplay for, you know, mid six figures. So I've constantly had to reinvent myself, but it's never been anything that's happened overnight. It's always been years of work that have taken and gotten a foothold. Mm. Does, does that make sense? It does. Now you had a, a, a health scare, um, mm-hmm. a, a real big health event that happened. Um, when did you, when did you have your heart attack? Dan? Uh, six years ago, December. So you were 49, 49. 49 years God, old. Not only are you a thesaurus, but you're good at math. No, terrible at math. <laughs> terrible at math. I just remembered reading that. <laughs> so you had a heart attack. Tell us about that because that's that's got to be extremely I – can't, I can't even imagine how unexpected that must have felt for someone who was into fitness, 
working out, yeah, and you're young. Describe who you are right before that moment and then who you were when you came out of it. So I'm 49 years old. I own my own business. I started an obstacle adventure race company, which I had for 10 years, uh, which I'm just pivoting now to speak and do podcasts full time. I'm pivoting out of that, but I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic. I'm healthy. I've got a big house in the Hill. Uh, I'm with a fantastic girl. I feel bulletproof again. And uh, I'm at the gym one day, the CrossFit gym, and I'm warming up, doing a little workout and I start to feel chest pain. And I'm like, Oh, that's weird. What do you mean chest pain? So I said, okay. I sit down for a second. I just got on one knee and I said, okay, take a couple deep breaths because as athletes, that's what we do. Oh, I got a little chest pain. I got a cramp. Okay, okay. A couple deep breaths. Let's go. I got this. I got this. So it wasn't really bad at this point. No, no. It was just a pinch in the chest. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Just push through this. It felt like a, you know, you get running, you get what you call a stitch. Sure. It felt like a minor one of those, a little stitch. I'm like, okay, take a couple deep breaths, you know, uh, stretch it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See my, you know, uh, see my gladiator, gladiator ready, contender ready. Three, two, one, go. Got back. <laughs> <laughs> funny thing is I actually use that as a launch sequence. I bet, I bet, all the time. I bet. It's like your ritual every yeah. time you go to a workout. Well, it's a good activation and sequence. And sex. Totally. It's a good activation oh, sequence. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gladiator ready. <laughs> I just wonder which one's contender the gladiator. Ready. Yeah. Yeah, you know he comes in the, the bedroom gladiator? like that for sure. Yeah, let's switch it up. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, just I, who's got the pugil stick? That's the Where's question. Blaze? Bring Blaze in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he likes the chocolate. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm there, uh, and I get back up. I do this a couple times, and finally, it feels like, oh, man, this, this, this is weird. It really hurts, and I can't catch my breath. So it's a small CrossFit gym, a horsepower in uh, Studio City, California. So I go to the back on the couch, and I sit there. And now I'm in a cold sweat and I, and I'm like, I'm, why am I sweating? And what is this pain in my chest? I'm kind of holding my chest, but it's not like you see on TV, like, uh, and you fall to the ground. It wasn't like that for me. It's not like that. I, I've talked to a lot. I've done a lot of work with American Heart Association. Association. I've talked to a lot of people about heart attacks. It's not like that uh, for most people. Yes. Heart attacks do happen that way, but I was, ow, 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 ow. And I'm sitting back. There, I go, what is this? What could this be? And a buddy comes down and we both are trying to talk our way through it. Like, oh, you know, maybe you pulled a muscle in your back. You know, maybe you pulled a pec muscle. You know, maybe it's something. You know, you, you try to talk your way through logically, which is the worst thing you can do. If you have chest pain, go to the freaking hospital. Every second counts. Don't be an idiot like I was. So finally, I'm sitting there talking to him. I'm in a cold sweat. I'm kind of bent over. My chest, chest is hurting. And I look down and notice I've been shaking my left arm subconsciously. Or unconsciously, been shaking my subconsciously, been shaking my left arm. I go, oh, numbness in the left arm. That's a sign of a heart attack. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not me. So I, I tell my buddy, I go, hey, hey, can you give me a ride? Um, uh, let's go to urgent care. You know, we don't go to the hospital. We go to urgent care because I'm a gladiator. I could not be having a heart attack. It just doesn't happen to people like me, 49 years old, healthy, fit, on no steroids, 100% clean. Does not happen to me. We go into urgent care, and now the pain is really bad. And I remember walking up to the front desk and there was a girl there. I'm in chalk, you know, chalked up. I'm sweating. And I go to the girl. I said, hey, I said, I'm having chest pain. And she's like, could you fill out these forms, please? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't understand. I bang my hands. I'm having chest pain. They run me in the back. They put the electrodes on. And uh, the guy's like, um, you're having a heart attack. And you go, I got to call the ambulance. And uh, boom, next thing I know, I'm in the back of the ambulance. And I think there's humor in any and everything because I'm in the back of the ambulance and you know, I've got that thing on my mouth and I'm on a gurney and, and, uh, and I hear them 
talking and you, you get, they gave me something, I think, uh, but I, I hear my, I hear myself talking. I hear them talking. It's like a haze and I can hear them saying this, Hey, you're going to give them the nitro. <laughs> you're gonna give them the nitro? I'm like, okay, what time we give them the nitro? Who's giving the nitro? And I'm just like, what did I die? Is this heaven? <laughs> Is this hell? <laughs> and then about, you know, three, four minutes into the ride, you know, someone opens my mouth and they gave me nitroglycerin. Right. So then when we get out, uh, they open the doors and they pu- pull out and they're wheeling me into the emergency room. I said, hey, you know, I got, I got to tell you guys, you know, something funny, you know, I used to do this TV show and they go, we know <laughs> you're nitro. <laughs> and we gave nitro the nitro. <laughs> <laughs> nitro saved you. Yeah. So there, I thought that was, fun. I thought there's always humor, yeah. but you know, I had the heart attack and, um, you know, shattered the entire existence of my belief of who I was. You know what I mean? The, the, the fitness, the health, sure. that, that tough guy, that strong guy who could power through anything. But going through that experience of, you know, fa- facing my death, of facing mortality, because when I went into the hospital, they put me in there. The doctor comes in. He says, how long have you been having a heart attack? Then they take a blood test because your body secretes uh, uh, tryponone. When you have a heart tryponone, when you have a heart attack, it's an enzyme that your okay. cardiac enzyme that your body. So that's how they really know from the EKG from, besides the EKG the trip tryponone that's in your, your, your blood. So he says, you're having a heart attack. We have to rush you into surgery. And at this time I want some reassurance, you know, I'm, I, I'm like, Hey, Hey, you know, I just got to ask you, am I going to die? And I want him to say, we got you buddy. Not on my watch. And he mm-hmm. says, you've been having a heart attack for three hours. And he said, we're going to put oh. you into the cardi lab and uh, we're gonna do the best we can. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit, this is real. But in that 20 minutes, and they don't put you out when they give you a stent because what they're doing is they do the angioplasty where they go in through your groin, they do the exploratory thing. They just don't crack your chest open mm-hmm. right away. So I remember saying that I had 20 minutes before they brought me in. And in that 20 minutes, I learned everything I needed to know about life. I learned what was important to me. So I think sports taught me about life, but almost dying taught me how to live. And in that 20 minutes, the only thing I wanted, firstly, the only thing I wanted, I didn't care about my house on the hill. I didn't care about the German cars. I didn't care about any of that crap. I didn't care about the plaques on my wall. I didn't care about my little nitro action figure that I had at my desk. All I wanted was the people that I love close to me. And I wanted them to know how much I love them. And based upon that 20 minutes, I completely rebuilt my life again knowing that was what was most important to me. Wanted the people to know that I love them and I wanted them close to me. And that has made such a fundamental change because a lot of times you talk about purpose, meaning what fulfills us, what makes happy, how do we get connection? That's my connection. And how that looks in life, I spend more time with my son. I spend more time with my 11 nieces and nephew who who are an hour away from me in Orange County where I live in Los Angeles. I spend more time with my family and friends. Um, and that's changed my life. And there are a couple other things too. I learned, and this is a hard one to practice. I learned not to waste time on things that don't matter with people that do. So other words, I found myself a lot of times wanting to be right. You know what I mean? Wanting to argue, wanting to get that point. And now I just said, God, that doesn't matter. I'm not going to waste time on things that don't matter with people that do. Third thing was I've taken the word someday out of my vocabulary. I had done a lot in my life and I've traveled. I've done a lot of things, but still once in a while I found myself saying someday, you know, like, Oh yeah, someday I'm gonna go to Africa. Someday I'm gonna go to Bora Bora. 
And I learned in that moment that time is not guaranteed. So I never say someday. And it helps me filter my life and helps me plan my life. If someone says, hey, do you want to do this? Well, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to plan it two years from now. I'm going to plan it one year from now. So it really helps me schedule my life and it helps me shine a light on the things that I want to do. I've wanted to go to Bora Bora for 25 years. But I was always kind of waiting, you know, like, hey, with the perfect time, the perfect money, the perfect this, the perfect girl, the perfect. And I'd never done it. This year in May, I went. Oh, great. I finally stopped saying someday. You know what I mean? And that was, that, that, that was, that was so key for me. You know what I mean? And then a lot of people say to me, oh, man, you know, I'm sorry you had a heart attack. And I said, no, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the best that synthesized happiness, learned optimism. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got the answers to life. For me, mm. for me, before I died. Now, sometimes when this revelation happens for somebody so late in their life, like it did for you, and, and now you're going back and you're spending time with the family and doing things and reprioritizing your life, sometimes they're not all on the same page as you are. So what has been your greatest challenge with that? Because I, I imagine, because uh, we kind of briefly kind of glazed over, your, your, you said you have a son. How many kids do you have? I have one son. One son. Yeah, he's 32 years old. Okay, so, and- I love him to death. And you had him fairly early? That'd be 20, yeah, 23. 23 years 23. old. And probably during a very selfish years of your life. So I imagine you've probably had to go back and rekindle all that. Are you still rekindling the relationship with him? Do you guys have an amazing relationship? What's that like? I find what exactly what you said there. I, I wasn't really that selfish when I was young. I've, I've always, you know, I might've been a dick. Sometimes <laughs> kind of been a jerk, you know, like oh, arrogant, but I've always had a big heart. Mm -hmm. I've always had a kind heart and I'll see people that knew me, you know, back in the day and they said, you're always nice. And, and that's good to hear M most people. And I know um, there's some people I was probably an asshole too, but most people had a big heart. Um, and, and you said something about rekindle. And I think that's a great philosophy to take in life. I don't, I think you want to look at every relationship everyone has in their life. And you always want to think that way, rekindling. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because that word right there, and that's what I do. I always try to breathe life into them. So I'm always constantly rekindling. It's never done because needs change, people change, desires change, we change. And I think that's a great attitude to have. So I had to rekindle, but I'm always rekindling. Yeah. I'm always trying to figure out how I can be the best human possible and show up in the best way and to make the biggest impact in the best way that I can. I wake up in the morning and, and I say, how can I impact people today? How, so, how many people and how can I impact people today? So I'm a, a new father. I've uh, had Congratulations. A thank you. I've had a I had a baby six weeks ago. So funny. I thought you were gay. <laughs> <laughs> no, the only reason I say that, not by the way, any other mean, not because you hold your foot like that or anything, not, not what I'm saying, but because when you guys were on my podcast, you said my partner. We were talking about relationships. Oh, because I'm not married. Oh, and I just said, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay, he's gay. Yeah. That's cool. I said, my, 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 no, but my son is gay. So I'm like, my, Just, Justin's the one sorry. masturbating your poster, hey. not me. Hey, don't throw me under the bus. <laughs> well, no, but my son is gay. So I, look, I, it's my sister's gay, but I just thought you said, oh, that's cute. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, I was going to say welcome. Hey, it's not the, fir it's not the first time someone's- we, We've all had, had questions. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> so you got a young kid. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so I almost lost my train of thought. You, <laughs> when, have, you, when you and your partner adopted. Yeah. Right. We, I'm curious, what is the, uh, the greatest challenge that you've had as a father? So- that's a neat, that's a good question because now my girlfriend has an eight year old. I've been with her for about three years. So I've gotten to see fatherhood with a 25 year window. Mm. 
Mm. And for who I am as a human being, my biggest challenge was I was a lot like my dad, where I led by intimidation and the threat of violence without ever hitting my son. So authority, strong authority. Intimidation. Intimidation. Authority is, I think, a little, I think we, uh, intimidation, like, uh, you know, that look oh, or, or that little push in the shoulder, that little like flick, you know, and if you don't, but he was always a little bit afraid of me that if I, that if he didn't do something, there would be the threat of violence. And I regret that now. I mean, my son is great. He's graduated law school. He's doing great. We're closer than ever. But looking back now, I take how I life coach people and how, and I use that on my girlfriend's son, my stepson, so to speak. Mm. So it's motivating, it's principles, it's clarification, it's setting up reward systems and setting up habit systems. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So that's the biggest thing that I can see with that 25 year window is I don't lead with anger. I mean, I, look, I still get mad. Sometimes these little, little things, they drive you crazy, right? I don't get angry, but I, I, I look at coaching him and guiding him instead of bossing him. And it's, it's made a tremendous difference. All the stuff that, you know, learned, like you said earlier uh, in our podcast, when you're on my show, you said um, uh, learning to look at challenges and love challenges because that's where the growth is, learning to love those. Yeah. So like this summer, he's eight and we had a 500 push-up challenge for him. I said, over the summer, you're going to do 500 push-ups. You up for the challenge? He's like, oh my God, 500 push-ups. I said, hey, reward, 50 smackers. He's like, $50. But then we, I've taught him how to break that down, right? Mm-hmm. Small habits done over time. So this is the way I parent now. It's the same way I coach. Small habits over time. <laughs> done. So he did the 500, but it was breaking that down, right, guys? I was mm-hmm. breaking it down, doing 10 a day for mm-hmm. 50 days. And I got that from, a, I read his book, David Goggins. Do you guys? Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. I, read his, I, I don't know the guy, but I read his book because I read everything that comes out and he broke the pull-up record or something. Yeah, yeah. And he said, most people look at 2,400 pull-ups in 24 hours as impossible. He goes, I broke it down. Mm-hmm. So I'm a constant learner and I, and, and I parent different by teaching in the things I'm learning. Awesome. Hey, I can talk, can I, guys? <laughs> yeah, you're good at it. I, I rival Sal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you um, find out or figure out what it was that caused a heart attack at such a young age? Did you end up having to change anything about your lifestyle? So, heart attack. The number one predictor for someone who's going to have a heart attack is hereditary. That's the number one predictor. I didn't think I had it in my family line. Uh, I remember the doctor asking me, oh, did anybody have a heart attack in family? I'm like, no, no, nobody. Then the next day my sister came and I said, no, no, dad had a heart attack when he was 30. And I was like, oh, "Oh, okay. But he didn't have heart troubles later. And I looked at the lifestyle differences. My dad was a drinker, alcoholic, a chain smoker, stress, aggression, didn't exercise. And he was just, you know, working 22, 24 hours a day and he, boom, he had a heart attack. And so I didn't think that had any genetic component that would mean anything to me. And the doctor said, no, no. That's a family history. So that was level one. Level two was I was someone who didn't eat fats. Mm. I was from that generation where I ate everything non-fat. And I was lean. I ate everything non-fat, non-fat yogurt, non-fat this, non-fat that. I believe the lie that, the, that they told us, right? So I would have zero fat in my diet. So that gave me a naturally low HDL, naturally low good fat. So when we're looking at your fat and you're... When you're looking at your fat ratios and your cholesterol and your HDL, a lot of it's a bunch of crap. But the one thing you want to look at is your HDL to your total cholesterol level. 
and you want to have that like at 2.5. So in other words, if your HDL is 50 and your cholesterol is a, let me say, if your HDL is 80 and your cholesterol is 300, you're still okay because you're under the right ratio. So don't only look at the LDL number. My HDL, my good cholesterol was low. It was like 40. And that's something that I've always had. And also my, not to get too deep, but my particles. So when you look at your LDL, okay. You, uh, had, you get the small, dense one and the big, fluffy mm-hmm, ones, right? right? So I had a lot of little particles. Yeah. So Those are the inflammatory ones that are... Well, when they're little. So here's what happens. So you've, you've got LDL, which is the regular cholesterol. Then you've got the, what they say, the bad cholesterol. But then you have HDL, which is the good cholesterol. The HDL is like a bus for the bad cholesterol to get out on. So they, all those HDL, okay, get out of here. And we both can have, we all can have the same cholesterol number. Let's say it's 100. But my 100 LDL can be in 2,000 pieces. And yours can be in 500. The more pieces you have and the smaller they are, and this is theory, is that the endothelium, the lining of your artery, if they're smaller, they can breach through the lining of your endothelium and lodge and start to calcify and create plaque. So I had a lot of little ones. Mm. But I didn't have the typical heart attack where... I think everyone looks at a heart attack and they think a heart attack is when the, when the blood stops going through because you have plaque and buildup and it closes. You hear people say, oh, I've got 90% blockage. Right, right, right. That's only 50% of the heart attacks. The other 50% are from plaque ruptures. So you can have like as little as 10% plaque but for some reason, that plaque in your heart, I know every guy listening to this is starting to feel chest pain because <laughs> they're all like, I'm healthy. What is he talking about? How many particles do I have? So that plaque that just normally hard and calcifies and closes, in some people, they don't know why, it becomes soft. And you get a little pimple of plaque like you get a pimple on your face. And, and that pimple pops. And when that pimple pops, your body goes through thrombosis, the clotting process, and it sends all these clotting factors to where the skin broke, where the pimple popped. And that, those clotting factors actually clog, clog your artery and your blood can't get through. So you have a heart attack. Isn't that weird? What's supposed to save you actually mm-hmm. kills you. Mm-hmm. So they went in and they put a stent in to secure where the artery, the lining of the endothelium had broken. Okay, so basically. no need for a bypass. They just went in. They went in and put the stent in and, and they're like, okay. And they said, oh, you, you, you know, you had a minor heart attack. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because I went back in like every like, few weeks. I got chest pain. I got chest pain. After you have a heart attack, because it, 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 you know, it, it's not like other illnesses. Because boom, you're done. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're done. It's not like cancer, which is horrible. My mom died of cancer. I love you, mom, two years ago. And that's just horrible. It's slow. But at least you get to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Heart attack, you're done. So when you come home, they're like, um, don't lift, uh, don't take out the don't trash. Don't stress yourself at all. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't take out the trash. Don't walk downstairs. Don't do this. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, my heart, my heart. And I, I went back, you know, like like every week. I think I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm having a heart attack. But uh, yeah, it's a crazy thing. And so now you've you've increased your healthy fat intake and, and have you noticed any changes in your HDL? Are they better? Oh my God. It is so crazy. I've eaten more fat I even went ketogenic for for a minute, and it just what didn't work for me. Uh, but I, I I eat so many healthy fats. I, I do my macros, uh, protein, fat, and um, uh, carbs, and I like to keep on a daily basis of fifty percent fat. Mm. But when I was doing seventy percent fat, avocados, uh, almonds, uh, whole eggs, whole milk, half and half, whole cheeses, my HDL went up to the 60s, so the highest it's ever been, and my LDL went down to the mm-hmm. lowest ever been. It went down to 50. It went down to 50. So that whole lie they told, for, for me, 
the whole lie that they told us about not eating good fats, I ate more good fats and I had the best cholesterol numbers that I've ever had. Wow. Mm. Did you notice any other changes from that besides your cholesterol numbers? Like any changes to skin, energy? Sex drive. Yeah, all that stuff. You know what? Not No. Because it was, I, I, again, I think you have to look at the subject where you start. Mm-hmm. I was always, I was already healthy. Yeah. I was already healthy. I was just low in good fats mm-hmm. and it was causing my, uh, not enough HDL and my particle numbers to be too big, Got it. but I was super healthy. So I didn't notice that big of a, a difference. Mm. So you, you said you had, you were off testosterone and, and steroids at the time. Did, have you, are you on any replacement now or are you still off? So the funny thing was after the heart attack. I went and saw the urologist because they want you to do the proctology thing to see what your PSAs are. And he actually told me I had low testosterone. And I was like, what? So he actually put me on testosterone. Mm. So yeah, so I have to take a little bit. But then when I was competing on CrossFit, it was a slippery slope. So I'd have to go off because they random tests. You competed in CrossFit after you had a heart attack. Yeah, man, come on. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Before and after. Oh, God. So, so, <laughs> so, look, I look at it this way. I'm done. I, I looked at it this way. You know, for me, you know, I got to do what I love to do as long as it still stays smart. Hmm. And the doctor told me what I could do. And for anybody out there looking to make a comeback, I believe for every setback, there's a chance to come back and rise. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it too many times. And the steps are always the same. For me, the first day home from the hospital, Justin, the first day home from the hospital, my goal for the entire day was to walk from my bedroom down 22 stairs to my kitchen, Mm. touch the refrigerator and not die. Mm -hmm. That was my whole goal. And I walked down there. I remember like, you you know how when they go Everest without oxygen, Mm -hmm. they walk, whoosh, whoosh step by step. And that's how I walked down those steps. I stood on top of those 22 stairs, something we all take for granted every day. And I was there and I was literally sweating. And I was like, is this going to kill me? And I took that breath. And when I got downstairs and I sat down and I was like, oh my God, I made it. I had such a profound sense of gratitude. And the other thing, when we were talking about the things I learned is I really, for the first time in my life, understood gratitude. I always chased gratification. Uh, things that appeal to the senses, eating more, having more, nicer things, luxury. Mm. I didn't really even know what gratitude was. I just thought it was some bullshit you saw on the internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I also learned like when I sat on that chair and I felt the sun shine on my face in that moment, I was just so grateful to be alive. And I've taken that and turned that into a daily practice for me. So the second day, my whole goal for the day was to walk down the stairs and touch my mailbox and not die. The third day was to touch my neighbor's mailbox and not die. The fourth day was to touch the stop sign. Three weeks in, four weeks in, five weeks in, six weeks in, I got the clearance to ride the bike. And I was in my garage riding the bike with no tension. But to me, I felt like I was winning the, whatever that race in Paris was. I was like, I'm winning the Tour de France, I can (laughs) ride. So if you have a setback, no matter what it is, Find what you can do, like what you guys preach, uh, something mm-hmm. you can do, do it, and the next day, just push yourself a little bit more. Then a year after the heart attack, I was standing on a CrossFit podium after winning a master's event. Wow. A year later. A year and, a year and two months later. Wow. wow. Yeah. So uh, it, what made you want to get into the podcast space? Because you said you did that pivot. You had an obstacle course racing business, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, had, uh, I started an obstacle course race business, a gladiator rock and run, uh, 2010. We came here for seven years up at Hamilton park, up at Hamilton, up there in the okay, Mount Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last two years we did it over at, uh, 
Oh gosh, off the one fifty two over there, uh, Hollister Gilroy. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. There's like that fruit stand, and they have sure. the stuff behind it. Oh Ca- right, Casa de Fruta. Yes, yeah. Casa de Fruta up yeah. here in San Jose. So we did it there. Uh, what what made me want to get in the podcasting space? I, I felt like there were so many things that I've learned in my life, tools that I took for granted for a long time, health, fitness, but. Even more than that, I felt there were tools how to live a happy, fulfilled, meaningful life. And I thought it was important for someone who is uh, humbly athletic, who's had some success, to come and share how hard it is sometimes, to share the struggles, to share what it takes to overcome things, to be able to say, yeah, you know, I suffer from addiction. Yeah, I had someone when I was little that tore me apart that I still cry about. Yeah, I have anxiety. And this is how I deal with it, to pull back the hood. And I think um, right now we need uh, authentic conversations. Mm-hmm. Totally feel the same way. Yep. Craziest yeah. drug story. What kind of drug? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to qualify. Well, Look, I started drinking when I was 10 years old. No, yeah, yeah. We, we've used, ten, well, kind mean, of the 10 bases. years G, old, alcohol. GHB, cocaine. I mean, you've named some pretty crazy fun ones. So give me the craziest. I, I, can I tell you a funny story? I'll tell you some funny right, story. All right, all right, tell me. Um, about 12 years ago, my buddy and I, we wanted to become uh, LAPD reserve officers. I don't know why. We just said this would be cool. You know, we can go serve the country. You know, we can work vice. We can do whatever. And I remember uh, uh, on the application, they ask you, yeah. have you ever uh, taken steroids? I'm like, yeah. Have you ever tried cocaine? I'm like, yeah. Have you ever tried MDMA? Huh? Oh, ecstasy. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever tried acid? I'm like, oh God, I was in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever tried GHB? I'm like, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was, uh, Needless to say, they didn't call me. <laughs> Even oh, though I, did, I, I didn't inhale. <laughs> but, we got it was all only experience in though. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of different stories around a lot of different drugs and I don't want to glamorize them because I think, you know, self-medicating was something I I dealt with with a a long time because I don't want to certain feel things inside. So I don't want to glorify them. I do remember, and this I talk about in my first book, Gladiator, I remember one of the side effects of steroids is you produce too much estrogen. You guys know this Mm -hmm. and you get what they call a gynecomastia or bitch tit. Right. And I remember when we were young, there was this Italian kid we were training with and he had it so bad that he actually could squeeze his nipple and milk would come out. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that, that'll happen yeah. if you get terrible. Yeah. yeah, he was like, he That's was terrible. milking and he was squirting Don't us. YouTube that. Yeah, yeah and we were, but you know, we, I was 24. We got the biggest kick out of it. Like, ah, look at you all. God, what tools we were, man. Youth is wasted on the young. You get your own built-in post-workout protein. Yeah. It, stop. <laughs> stop. Oh, I know. On, well, now you're talking about like crazy stuff, like placenta, you know, like people uh, eating their placenta of their uh, kid. Did you do that? No. no did you didn't. save it? No, I didn't actually. I have friends who saved it. Yeah, the science is still kind of gray on it right now. Have you done stem cells? Uh, no, I haven't done stem cells. Best stem cells. cells. Yeah. Best stem cells. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, really expensive though. Yeah, I've done stem cells. Uh, uh, I've done stem cells from my lower back. I had a lower back surgery uh, a, year, a year ago. This is my anniversary. Mm. So anniversary, I had a three-level lumbar. Um, originally, I was going to do a three-level fusion, but my dad had a fusion, and he was in the bed in our living room in a hospital bed for six months, and it scared the shit out of me. So I decided to do a L5-S1 at the typical fusion. Then on top, I did disc replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. And this is the wave of the future. This disc replacement therapy that they're, they're, a lot of these guys are doing here that they've been doing in Europe. If you are listening to this and you have a back problem, do not do a fusion unless you are not a candidate for advanced disc replacement. Fusion. 
They both start the same way. They open you up. They, they open you up. They cut you open. For me, they cut the stomach. They put a spacer in. They open your vertebra, vertebral space up. They pull out your disc. They clean. They buff. With a fusion, they take a bone graft. They sprinkle bone dust on there. I, I call it pixie dust. Bone dust on there. They put a plate between your upper and lower vertebrae. They put screws in, and they hope that that pixie dust, the bone dust- Turns into bone, right? Turns into bone, so you have one joint now. Mm-hmm. So uh, adjacent disc syndrome. You have one joint. Oh, everything on the other side gets way more stressed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Disc replacement starts the same way, but they actually put an artificial articulating disc in there. Bone fusion takes six months to a year if it takes. If it takes. And then you have the adjacent disc syndrome. The disc replacement, they put an articulating disc in there. It's got a little shark fin on the top and the bottom, and it goes right into a groove that they cut in the vertebrae below and above, and you're ba- below and above, and you're back in eight to 12 weeks. Oh, wow. Mm. Eight to 12 weeks. So I'm back now. It's been one year. And the other day I got back into the 300 pound deadlift club for reps. Oh, wow. good deal. Wow. And a lot of guys who get a three level fusion, they never deadlift again. No, you, yeah. you're not a good idea. Yeah. Not a good idea. Wow. I got wow. it cleared by the surgeon and I asked him and I said, can I deadlift again? He said, you can do everything you did before mm. and you're even going to be better. So did you get stem cell injections as well? So first, sorry, I, I can talk so damn much. It's all right. I'm, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm part. sorry. I mind pump people. This guy can talk. <laughs> Don't worry, Justin, I'm used to it, it dude. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> I sit here and get bombarded all day long. Yeah. So before I wanted to find every alternative I could before I actually had back surgery. Right. So that included, you know, burning the nerves that included, you know, 40, 50, 60, uh, epidurals, uh, cryotherapy, ice, anything, anything, almost you name it, I've tried it. So I did stem cells, expensive, you know, eight, 10 grand. And they, I did autologist where they took out my own fat, they spun it, uh, they put it back into something and then two technicians pull out all the stem cells and they inject it. They inject it in the four uh, vertebral space as well as the facets on the side. And I did it and it did absolutely nothing. Mm. Absolutely nothing. Uh, so that's why I opted to have surgery. Okay. Uh, then I tried it again for my left shoulder recently. I tried a second product called exosomes. Exosomes are one of the growth factors inside of stem cells. You hear Rogan talks about them a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, ex- exosomes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tried them six, seven months ago on my left shoulder. I have a bicep uh, tendonitis I just can't seem to shake. So far, six months, that was $4,000, nothing. Oh, wow. That being said... I've talked to a lot of older athletes like me who've done it for wrist and shoulder and knee and they've got great results. Mm. I've never spoken to a single person who's done it for the lower back and the field is small. I've spoken to four or five people directly who had any benefit from stem cells in the lower back. Mm. Yeah, it is experimental at the moment and and quite expensive. So interesting. Well, Dan, you're an interesting man. Yes. Great time, man. Very good time. Yes. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Um, I like your, uh, I really admire your intuitive ability to, you know, uh, you, you guessed, uh, I think correctly, that Adam was gay. <laughs> that was Yo, wait, funny. before you leave, you, could you hook it? Could you, could you get, get us the gun? Can we, yeah, <laughs> like, we want to connect us with the I guy shoot, that I shoot blanks manufacture. Shut up. Not that gun. <laughs> the, the, the tennis ball gun. Do you have a connection? I, oh, did, that's funny. Did those things yeah. come out hard or what? 
Well, yeah, there, there was. So the tennis ball guns. There, everyone's so curious about that. Well, oh, why is that? We What's want the fascination? One, we want one in here. That's if funny. I had one in here, I would have. when you came in, I would have shot the shit out of you. I think it would have been, <laughs> would have been the funniest people. thing ever to yeah. get you coming in and then shoot you. You guys, you know what you guys should do? Huh. You guys should make another one and we'll come back to another episode. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so you have to have a tank that fires and then it's just the balls are in a round thing here and they go into the cartridge. You hit a thing and it's backed by air and it just shoots. You don't have one in your garage laying around? <laughs> I have it on my ceiling. I feel like hitting your knee. Neighbors as they go. Yeah. That, I feel like that's one thing that I would have taken off the set before I left. Yeah, that's why I pick. Uh, my, that's right. how you pick my girlfriend. So they can get through the tennis ball can. They can get to nitro. Uh, no. uh, All joking aside, yeah. it's been great talking. Yeah, to you. you're yeah. a great guy. Good time. Good time. Uh, let me say this though. I, when I just said that, I thought you were gay. <laughs> uh, no, I just want to say this. A... No, like I said, my son is gay. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that kid so much. You know. Oh, I didn't feel like you. No, we don't. We don't. I don't think. I didn't feel like you. You meant it in a derogatory way at all i thought it was a, a genuine no, no, mistake it, yeah, it, yeah. I, could, I paint my toenails so yeah I mean, you could totally no, that's just hot yeah <laughs> he gets yeah. attention that's yeah. just, that's just hot i, I manscape yeah. i dress well i could totally see how you yeah, can think i'm gay you know yeah, yeah, especially yeah. next to these very two close well, when you said close. partner but let me just that, you know let me say that, that that's a big adjustment you know and i think we got to quit looking at where we're different i know you guys don't kind of looking that we're all the same we're all in this you know this human experience together right yep. and how do we illuminate this this human condition because when I was a young kid, you know, I, I never met a gay person. Mm. I, I grew up, you know, in the Not 70s, Not that you knew, 80s. though. I don't know if they, I, yeah, whatever. Sure. I yeah. just never met. The first gay person I met was in college. Mm. And it was the guy who, <laughs> I'm a football player, and the guy you give your towel to and he gives you a new towel and you're naked. And that <laughs> yeah. was the first gay person I ever met. And then I went to college. I didn't know anybody gay. And then, yeah. you know, all of a sudden my son's 16 and a half and he tells me, he, you know, he thinks he's gay. You know, and that took... Uh, it, it was hard. I don't want to, I'm so accepting now, but I, I want to say then when I was 16 and a half, you know, this gladiator, professional football player, and your son says he's gay, you know, how do you love something that you don't understand? Sure. You know, but over the time, and it was just like, man, this is my son. Of course, hundred percent. This yeah. is my boy, right? I just 100%. want him to be happy. That's it. 100%. I want him to be healthy. I want that's to make right. him a contribution to society. If he, you know, you want him to be a good human. That's it. A good human. That's it. If he well, wants steak, or if he's a vegan, or if he's a vegetarian, or if he's a carnivore, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Be happy. Well, Absolutely, Dan. I'm happy and straight. <laughs> thanks thanks again so for coming thanks, on man. all right guys i love you right. thank you for listening to mind pump if your goal is to build and shape your body dramatically improve your health and energy and maximize your overall performance check out our discounted rgb super bundle at mindpumpmedia.com the rgb super bundle includes maps anabolic maps performance and maps aesthetic Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.